You are listening to the Resonate Church Sermon Podcast. Resonate is a collegiate church planning network in the Northwest. If you'd like to learn more, please visit us at resonate.net. Today we have a really special privilege. Um, we are going to have our sermon given by a friend of ours named Brian Fry. And so I want to actually invite Brian out if he's here. here there he is. If I'm, if I'm here. If, yeah. I couldn't see, I was expecting. <laughs> all right. All right. Yeah, I got yeah. you. I got you. It's like, if he leaves, we're in, we're in trouble. Tr- we're in trouble. Yeah. So uh, I met Brian. We, Resonate Church, met Brian 10 years ago at an event uh, where they were talking about collegiate church planting. And if you think 10 years ago, like Resonate was like a year and a half, two years old, and uh, no one believed in us. Uh, I'm, I'm not trying to overstate that. Very few people believed in us. We were having a conversation like, is this even possible? Uh, and when you look back on the history of Resonate and all that God has done, uh, I look back on it in, in seasons of providential relationships where God put people in our life and in our story that allowed us to go forward with confidence and and belief that he was for us. Uh, and, and Brian, you were one of those guys. You were one of those guys early on. Uh, when other people said that our church couldn't be what God had called us to be, Brian said, yes, you can. Uh, and then 10 years later, fast forward, he and his family moved from Ohio, uh, where they are learning to not cheer for the Buckeyes. Uh, I know, I know, not yet. Yeah. Yeah, one of them's not that way. It's like conversion to Christ. It takes a little bit of time, <laughs> but eventually you get there. Uh, so, uh, Brian has moved his family here, and how long have you guys been here? We've been here for two months. Two months. And they already became owners. <laughs> Challenge accepted. Come on. Yeah. They're overachievers, as you can tell. Uh, Brian is an overachiever. His notes are very highlighted with lots of color. He even put an X down for, so he would know exactly where to put his music stand. Uh, so, you could tell he is nothing like Keith and I. Uh, which is very much what our church needs. So you are a great gift to us, and we are thankful for you, and I want to pray for you as you uh, preach to us. He's going to finish out our disciple-making series this morning. Uh, I, I want to joke about, he has a PhD in multi-site church, uh, which is a thing you didn't know you could get a PhD in. So uh, I, I feel like that's important to know as you're preaching. Thank, thank you. Yeah. I had to. You, you know, had, my, had, my children to. say, uh, I'm the kind of doctor that doesn't help people. <laughs> that's, that's the way that it goes. Too, too real. Yeah. We got a lot of yeah. doctors in the crowd. Well, there actually. could be, yeah, yeah, others too. They actually yeah. help people. Maybe. Uh, okay, here we go. <laughs> this has gone on, the banter has gone too long. I'm too sorry. Long. I'm sorry. Let's pray. This Let's is very pray. serious. Here Amen. We go. Amen. Father, we are thankful for Brian and his family. Man, what a gift they are to our church. Even before they joined our church, what a gift they were. Uh, God, we're grateful for that. We know that you are for us and you, you've put people in front of us that have helped us to believe that. And so, God, this morning as we open your word, I pray you remind us again of the vision you have for your church, the vision you have for us as disciples who make disciples. So, God, be with Brian, give him clarity, and give him courage as he preaches. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you, Josh, I think. I appreciate you. Yeah, yeah, all right. Well, um, Hello, Resonate. My name is Brian Fry, as, uh, as it was just shared. And uh, let, let me just tell you, I, I have been watching you as a family, as a tribe for the last 10 years. And about three years ago, uh, my wife and I had a conversation. You'll, I, I think at some point in time, you'll meet Heidi and then our three sons, Ian, he's 15, and then Scott and Connor, 13, 13 twin guys. Uh, for about th- three years, we have since God asking us to come out and be a part of what you guys are doing in the Pacific Northwest. 
And uh, let, let me tell you, it, is, it has been a ride and uh, uh, lots of hard conversations. We are leaving a place in Ohio. There's great stuff happening. I mean, incredible stuff happening. Great friends there, families out that way. And uh, let, me, let me tell you, there's going to come a time if you buy into this Resonate vision that you're going to have to have a conversation with your family that says, hey, I'm not coming back home. I'm going to go to this place and, and help plant a church. And I think what happened to us is we saw so much of what was going on here, and then we sensed God calling us, saying, hey, will you go and do that thing that you're talking about, that thing that you're supporting? So we have now been here uh, in the Pacific Northwest for two months. We are one-month-old owners in this place, and uh, yeah, come on, it's fun, it's good, it's good. And let me tell you, our, our guys, uh, our kids are connecting well in, and really the most difficult part of this whole thing, I mean, it, there was some hard stuff, along, but, uh, I had to tell my mom that we weren't coming home for Christmas. And uh, let me tell you, it was kind of, I was kind of scared to tell her this. And uh, we were waiting for a couple weeks and the guys were like, hey dad, have you talked to grandma about not coming home yet? And I was like, eh, I haven't done that yet. And uh, so I called her uh, about two weeks ago and said, hey mom, um, and she's offered to fly us out. I mean, everything, take care of everything. And I said, uh, mom, I, uh, we're, not, we're not gonna be able to make it home for Christmas. Now, I don't know what goes on in your house, like how people respond to stuff, but when you make a statement and then your mom does not respond to you. Has anybody ever been in that spot before? Yeah, yeah, you're like, uh, I mean, it's silence and it goes for about 90 seconds. And it, now that's a game now, because like, I'm like, if I talk, you know, now I've submitted and now I'm the, I'm the wuss and I'm like, I'm gonna make her say something first and everything. And, and uh, after a few moments, she said, all right, I, I guess I can understand that. And uh, yeah, that conversation was very difficult. And, uh, and frankly, that's been the hardest part of this whole thing. And, uh, and the reason that we're staying here for that Christmas season, and frankly, the reason that we're, we're being here and that we're being a part of this thing is, be, is because we believe in what God's doing and what God is doing through you and his call here. So when people say, why do you come? Why did you guys come here? Why, uh, why are you here? Well, first is because we sense God leading us here. And, uh, and secondarily, well, this series explains it. So let me give you just a couple highlights from previous sermons that, uh, that Josh and Keith shared, okay? So these, these are just some flyover statements, and they really, uh, they encapsulate what you guys are doing, what you all as a, as a group believe and what you're practicing. So you'll see these up on the screen behind us here. So I'll run through these. So again, these are just highlights from uh, sermons previously in the week. So the first one. If the church was asked, what is your one job, it would be to what? what you guys remember, what was it? To make disciples, okay? Um, making disciples is the natural outflow of being a disciple, okay? Uh, that may sound like so normal, and, and in a way so novel, but this is just what Christianity is about. This is what following Jesus is about. So here's another one. We believe the church can and should be the greatest leadership organization in the world. There's a lot of leadership organizations out there. There's a lot of people who are working on stuff. John Maxwell, I mean, Patrick Lencioni, Lencioni Table Group. I mean, there's a lot of people who work on organizational development. But yet the church is supposed to be the best leadership organization in the world, the developer of, of people. And then here's the last one. This is the one that Josh shared last week. The cost of making disciples is significant until you compare it to the cost of not making disciples. So I don't... I don't know what you think when you hear this stuff, when you read this stuff, when you process this stuff, but I'm telling you, this is not, like, it's not normal for a group of people to hear this stuff and then believe this stuff and then to do this stuff. 
So like, uh, there are a lot of churches that will talk about disciple making and will teach disciple making, but from my limited experience, I've been in probably 100, 150 churches somewhere there, and, and here's what I've found. Ain't nobody like resonate. Like, there are people who make disciples, and there are people who lead people to Jesus. That's happening all the time, all over the place. But a church that is committed to making disciples, making them while they're young, and sending them out as early with the urgency that you have, you guys are just unique. You're a standalone thing in that regard. So disciple making is really what Resonate was built to do. And over the last 10 years, all we've seen in that process is an acceleration of it. So if you're writing your notes, if you're looking in your Bible, if you open to Matthew chapter 28, 19 through 20, or if you're taking your notes, if you look at there, you can look it up on your phone. I just want to take a minute or two just to look at the maxim, the idea, the, kind of the epic moment that Jesus laid out before his departure, right? This is the thing that he gave, the marching orders for everyone. If, if you don't have a device, you don't have your Bible, if you just close your eyes and just let me read this verse to you, and I want you to think about it for a minute. It's one we've talked about the last few weeks, but just, just hear and process this statement. So Jesus is with his disciples, he's about to take off. He's giving his departing orders, okay? And here's what he says. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Okay, so that's, that's nothing new. That's, that's what we've heard. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you until the end of the age. So when Keith said, man, the number one job, like the only job, the job of the church is making disciples, that's what it's all about. And as you look at cultures, and as you look at people around the world, and you see the problems that we face and the difficulties, the difficulties that we encounter, the solution set for those things, maybe not directly, but indirectly, but overall, is if we make disciples who make disciples, then it is fundamentally a cure-all for the ails of the world. I mean, that's just where it's at. And I'm telling you, as Resonate, that's what you guys do regularly. It's just normal for you. So again, you say why, you would ask why we would come out here is because we wanna be a part of this thing. So the guys said, Brian, would you take this disciple-making series and will you kind of encapsulate it, can you bring it all together for us? So I'm thinking, man, you guys live this stuff already. I mean, you, you breathe this stuff, you do this in huddles and in villages, you bring ResCon together, you talk about disciple-making. So what is there that I can teach you or show you or introduce you to that you can walk away with and, and kind of have a better understanding of everything? So here, here's what I found. Uh, there's a missiologist by the name of James Engel, and in 1975, he came up with this thing he called a scale of faith, or uh, it would later be called the Engel scale. So I wanna show that to you now. There's gonna be a graphic behind. And listen, it, it, let me kind of explain this thing, and if you can't see it very well, you can feel free to look it up on a device. Just, it's James Engel. Just look up Engel scale, and it'll show you. But let me, let me kind of point through this graphic and what it lays out. So it starts with a negative eight, so somebody has very little awareness of God's like a Romans one. They know there's something out there, but they don't really know if there's deity. They don't know if they really believe it. It progresses to the point where you have an awareness of God, and then beyond that awareness of God, then you get exposed to the gospel. You begin to hear and understand what the gospel is about. Eventually, you get to a point where you understand who Jesus is and what he teaches, and then there comes a moment where once you have heard the gospel, once you've heard everything that is laid out, you have the moment where you need to make a decision whether you follow God or you don't follow God. It's that zero point. It's the moment of decision. 
And then as you continue to progress through, what you see at plus one, plus two, plus three is somebody who has now accepted Jesus. Now they're growing in their relationship with Jesus. Their life is beginning to change. They're beginning to show fruit of a relationship to someone who follows Jesus. And then the thing culminates with, can, can you guys see it there? Can you see the word that it has used this? Can you see it? it the word, I know binoculars are going up in the back. Yeah, what does it say? The, the word is reproduction. Okay, so spiritual reproduction. So somebody leads somebody else to know Christ. A believer leads someone to become a follower, okay? So this is an Ingalls scale. And is, uh, it's kind of old, I know it's a little bit antiquated, but it's so helpful for you to sit down with someone and to ask the question, so where are you on your journey with God? Like, do you believe in him at all? Do you, do you follow him? It's a really, really helpful tool. And it's been used in a lot of different places. But the problem is when you think about people, for those of you who are sharing the gospel with others, you know that at times they, it seems like people are close to Christ and some people, then they'll, it's like they'll back away a little bit, they'll move forward. And if you're here today and you don't know who Jesus is, you don't have a relationship with him, maybe this gives you some help with understanding the language of, man, I think I believe, but I don't know yet. I haven't come to a place where I'm really ready to follow God. And then if you're following, maybe you're seeing yourself on there thinking, well, I, I have followed, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Christian, but I'm not really at that place where I've started to tell other people about my faith. So Ingle scale, really good, but it just has limits. People say, well, it's a little bit of back and forth, and man, they're only, it's a negative five, or excuse me, a positive five to a negative eight. Man, it should have more slots in it. So here's what I did. I thought, hmm. What if we took this pathway and uh, we kind of bent it around a little bit and we connected it with the Resonate logo? And so today, you're the first people who I'm introducing to the Resonate disciple-making loop, okay? What do you guys think, impressed? Not at all, okay. All right, so here it is. And again, I know it's a little bit, uh, a little bit hard to see some of the stuff, uh, but we'll, uh, we'll get it posted. You guys will be able to see it in the notes or we'll introduce it in villages or some other really uh, resonate pathway. So uh, basically, we took a negative eight and we went around to a positive eight. So same kind of things from negative eight to that zero, right? Somebody has no knowledge of God, but then they grow in their relationship with God. They begin to understand the, the teachings of Jesus. They begin to understand what the gospel is. And then they get to a place where at zero, they make the decision to follow Jesus. So from zero, you see a plus one, so that's growing in confidence of what they believe. You see a plus two, so they're in communication and relationship with God, they've followed God, they're, they're beginning to engage in worship environments, this, this kind of thing. They're in village, they're in community. And then a plus three, they're doing their own personal disciplines, right, they're studying the Bible, they're praying. And then what I did was at this plus four piece, this added in these last elements because I think when we look at resonate, it doesn't just stop with the idea of one person making a disciple, and that's where it ends. So when we look at Resonate, there's this, there's this expansion. There's this moment where people begin to share their faith, talk to other people about Jesus. And then there's this moment where people begin to orient their lives towards others, right? People begin to invite people in their homes and in their lives. They begin to sacrifice for other people to come to know Christ. And then there typically comes a point where as they're sacrificing to see other people come to know Christ, then they're able to make a disciple. And then as they begin to make disciples, then they begin to take responsibility. So that's at that plus seven. They begin to take responsibility for multiple people. So if you're a village leader, we would put you in this kind of designation category. Uh, if you're leading family groups or if there's other people who are involved in, if you're, you're leading wider space, you would be in that plus seven range. And then the ultimate goal is that plus eight location where you are raising up a disciple, but you're working with them to raise disciples who raise disciples 
for ultimately the goal, the end goal is to see God's kingdom expanded on earth. Now, I know that there are some, uh, there are a few engineers that live around this area. You know, you, you think through these things and you're automatically thinking, okay, maybe, I don't know, I would put this here, I would shift this around. And here's what I would tell you. Uh, it's, you can move it around all you want. It's, it's, it's a model, right? It's a, a way to see life and it's a way to see things. But the idea is it gives us a clear progression of what it means for somebody who doesn't know Jesus to get to a place where they come to know Jesus, to a place where they become, become that John 15, 5, fruit-bearing, multiplying disciple. Some of you are here today and you're like, man, I've never heard this idea of making disciples before. Like, I don't even know what that looks like, what that feels like. Well, you're in a great place because, again, what I've told you is resonate is this family, is this body that lives this thing out. And really, the goal isn't just to get somebody to a plus eight. The goal is to get to somebody to a plus eight so they engage somebody who's a negative eight. And then it goes around and it goes around. So we're trying to create a disciple-making, a church-planting flywheel. Okay? So let, let's do this now. So you've been introduced to this new idea, this new concept. So the, the best thing to do when you have a new model is to test it out. Okay? Would you agree? Is it good? Is it good? Okay, so let me ask it again. When you get introduced to something new, the best thing to do is to test it out, right? Okay, great, okay. So everybody's okay with me testing out the model, huh? All right, good. So Josh and I talked ahead of time, and we randomly selected three people out from the audience, and we're gonna bring you up here, and we're actually going to run through the model on you, okay? No, 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 I'm just kidding, we're not gonna do that. Although we have a taker up here, it sounds like. Uh, so we're not gonna, Josh might do that, but we're not gonna, here's, here's what I would like to do though. I wanna give you three stories quickly. And I want you to use the model to evaluate where these people, these individuals are in, in their lives, okay? Or on, on the thing. So my question really is, where did they land in the loop? So let me give you story number one. If you have your Bibles, you look up Luke chapter 18 verses 18 through 30. I'm just gonna read through the text, and again, I want you to think, where does this guy land on the loop, okay? So here's the verse, uh, 18 again through 30, Luke chapter 18. And a ruler asked him, asked Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to uh, inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except for God alone. You know the commandments, Jesus said, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And he said, all of these things have I kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to them, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And then this is the key part of the chapter, a key part of the verse right here, and come follow me. But when he heard these, when the rich young ruler heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, how difficult, it, how difficult is it, or it is, for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God, for it is easier to go for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. All right, so you can get stuck here and be like, okay, wait a minute, there's a whole lot of moving parts going on to this thing. Is Jesus saying he hates rich people and they have no place in heaven? Is this a, what's, what's he doing here? Is it Jesus just being a mean guy and he's just not, not wanting to care about this guy? So let, me, let me just quickly give you the skinny on this. Jesus loves this dude. 
I mean, he has compassion on him in a really significant way. And he sees potential in him. He sees that this guy understands much of what religion is about, much of what following God is about, but he sees in this guy this one Achilles heel kind of thing, this one thorn, this one hiccup, this one thing that's holding him back, is this guy, this rich young ruler, is more concerned about himself than he is about God and his kingdom. And he's not willing to take the leadership of his life and submit it to Jesus. Instead, he wants to leave his life all bound up in things of this world and not things of the kingdom. So Jesus is saying to this dude, hey listen, if you wanna, if you wanna be rich in this life, if you wanna be rich in the life, to come, if, if you want the fullest life that you can possibly have, then you need to sell this thing, give away these things that are idols to you so that you can come and follow me. So Jesus isn't being a heavy guy. He's not trying to be mean to the guy. He's trying to be compassionate and loving to him. And, and Jesus is not saying that money is a bad thing. He said it could be a dangerous thing as you continue to read through the rest of the scriptures. So Jesus then turns and says to the guys that are around him, or the guys that are around him as Jesus turns, they say to him, those who heard this said, then who can be saved? But he said, Jesus said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And then Peter said to him, see, we have left our houses and we have followed you. And he said to them, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come. So I want to go back quickly to the resonate loop for just a second, okay? So I want you to look at that. I want you to think about this rich young ruler for just a minute. So where would you place him on the scale? Yeah, you can answer out loud, or you can just think about it in your head. This, this guy, where, where would you put him? So I know you can't see it terribly well. Okay, so I, so I hear a negative six. Zero. Zero, okay, so he's at that point of conversion. All right, I, I think he's somewhere in there where he's trying to figure things out. Again, it shows out the linear nature of this and how you can use a, some different angles to it. But it's really clear that this dude is not at a place where he's ready to follow Jesus yet. Okay, so rich young ruler lands at a zero or less, probably negative one or negative uh, six. What about Peter? So the guys who have gone along with Jesus, the, the disciples who've left things behind, where, where would you put them? Again, I know it's a little bit hard to see. So are they at a point where they're sharing the gospel with people? Maybe they're getting there, they're kind of figuring things out. They're probably at a plus two or a plus three, okay? So just note to yourself right now as we move on to the next story. Rich young ruler, he's on the negative side of things. The disciples, as they're first starting to follow Jesus, they're probably at a plus two or a plus, a plus three. Okay, so I've got an, a picture for you here. I want you to imagine that you are out uh, on the boat, on the seas. In 1736, a group of Moravian missionaries were sailing to the New World, hoping to preach the gospel to Native Americans in Georgia. On the ship was a young priest named John Wesley who had been invited to come over to England to pastor a church, in, or invited from England to pastor a church in Savannah, Georgia. During the journey, a storm blew up that uh, was excessive, which was very strong, and it was so strong, in fact, that the, the main mast split, and panic overwhelmed all the crew who were on the boat, except for these Moravian missionaries. So the missionaries, when everything went crazy, they began to pray and they began to sing. John Wesley, on the other hand, 
He became scared, he became frightened, and his biggest concern about everything that was going on the boat was not about the people who were on board or thinking about God. His biggest concern throughout the entire storm was, oh, I don't wanna die. I, I, I don't wanna die. So the Moravians were following God, were seeking after God, were praying to God in the midst of ch challenge and difficult and adversity, and, <laughs> and John Wesley was falling apart. So as everything went past, uh, the storm ended, uh, Wesley asked the Moravians, what, why are you so brave? And the Moravians basically said, we don't have anything to fear because we trust in God. So this moment created a crisis of belief in Wesley's life, and he began to ask, what, what am I missing? What am I not seeing? So when he arrived in Savannah, he went and found uh, a missionary there, a pastor named Gottlieb Spannenberg. And he asked for advice. He said, there's something about you people that's different. You, you Moravians, you live in a different way. What, what is it about you? What, what am I missing? And Spannenberg, he, he very gently but very directly said to Wesley this, my brother, I have two questions for you. The first is, have you the witness of God's spirit in yourself? The second, does the spirit of God bear witness? Does it testify to you? Does it prove to you that you are a child of God. So in his diary, Wesley responded, um, he's taking notes on this, and he, he was surprised. He said, I, I didn't know how to answer him. Like, I was a pastor, I was the leader, I, I had done great things, but, but I just didn't know. And Spannenberg realized it in him, and he says, uh, Spannenberg to Wesley, so do you know Christ? Wesley says, I paused. And, and then I said, I, I know he's the savior of the world. Spannenberg responded to him, true, but do you know that he has saved you? Wesley answered, I hope he has died to save me. Spannenberg back to him said, but do you know for yourself? Do you know for sure? Wesley wrote down in his journal, he said, I, I do. But later on that night as he closed uh, as he closed out his day, he put a postscript. He said, I feared these words were in vain. So John Wesley, where would you put him on the loop? Would you put him at a negative one? Would you put him at a zero? Would you put him at a plus one? Where would, where would you put him? Anybody? Negative one. Negative one? Okay. How about the Moravians? Where would you put them? Okay, they're way... Seven, eight, right? They're way up there, right? They're sharing their faith. They're leveraging their lives for the gospel. They're being kind of resonating, if you will. <laughs> yeah. So here's the thing. In that moment, Wesley was absolutely at a negative one. He was so close in so many ways. I mean, he understood everything about the gospel. I mean, he had seen it. He had just not said yes. He had not followed. He had not gone all in with Jesus. But the good news is, what happened from that moment is John said, okay, God, I wanna believe in you and I wanna follow you. He began to live life with people who are following Jesus, who are pursuing Jesus, and then he began to make disciples who make disciples. So one of his disciples was a guy by the name of Francis Asbury. At age 26, he was commissioned by Wesley. After Wesley had been walking with Jesus for a while, he was commissioned by Wesley to go to the United States and become a missionary to the United States. 
By the way, if you hear the name John Wesley and you, you don't really know how to locate him in terms of history, he's the founder of the Methodist movement. So if you hear of a Wesleyan church, if you hear a Methodist church, if you've been a part of one of them, all of those go back to John Wesley. And frankly, all of those go back to that moment on the boat with the Morovians. So this guy, Francis Asbury, that John Wesley trains up, when he arrives in the United States in 1771, there were four ministers, okay? Four Methodist ministers, and there were about 300 Methodists, about 300 people who were a part of their church. When he died in 1816, there were 2,000 ministers, and there were 200,000 people in the Methodist movement. Okay, so where would you put Asbury? Well, he's probably a seven, or actually, he's an eight. He's an eight, uh, or he's a 14. I was somewhere on the north side, right? He's uh, doing a lot. But Wesley went from a guy who was so fearful and doubted his faith to a place where, well, he he became a fruit-bearing, multiplying disciple, all right? So let me give you one more uh, set of images, okay? So let me uh, give you this couple right here. You guys know them? Yeah, yeah. So that is Keith and Paige Weezer circa 1999. Man, that is a long time ago. Paige hasn't changed. Keith looks so old. Okay, all right. So, uh, so you know this couple, and then you may know these other guys right here too. Uh, yeah, you guys know. That's true worship, and that is none other than Josh the Beatles uh, Martin right there. Yeah, he's, he's good. Okay. All right, we should go ahead and move past those slides because that's gonna be super distracting for the next little bit. Okay, so 20 years ago this year, a uh, 23-year-old 20, couple got married, Keith and Paige, and within a few weeks, they moved from um, Texas up to the Pacific Northwest. They spent some time over in the Portland, Vancouver area, and then uh, a little over, about 12 years ago, they moved to Pullman, Washington, and along with Drew and Josh and a lot of other folks actually, um, they began to make disciples who make disciples. And frankly, every one of us who are here, uh, from my family who are among the newest of the new, uh, owners in this place, to all of us, we are here because of the obedience of a 23-year-old couple who moved to a new place to help start a church, and then a couple other guys who said, hey, we're just crazy enough to do this with them. So I'm gonna go back to that Ingle scale for just a moment, and let me ask you, where would you put them? Yeah, this is kind of a loaded question with a loaded answer, right? (laughs) They're at that plus eight. But here's the deal, they're not the only ones. I could name off families like the Smarts, or I can tell you about people like Jamie Boyd, or I can talk about the Loomas or the Dolls or the Lovelaces, and here's the thing, I could go on and on and on and on. Resonate is stacked with fruit-bearing, multiplying disciple makers. We are stacked. So let me now ask you this question. Where do you put yourself on that resonate disciple-making loop? Would you say, hey, I'm here, and I have no idea what this loop thing is about, man. You, you caught me off guard. This is my first day. That's totally cool. No, that's totally cool. But those of you who've been here for a while, where would you put yourselves? You don't have to answer out loud. Just, just think about it for a moment. Here's my biggest fear for us 
way too many people who say, hey, I'm a Christian, they live in that plus one to plus three zone. Man, we like it right there. We just stay, stay in that little space, man. We're gonna be right in that, in that little zone. And we never make the step to go to that plus four where we begin to share our faith or we begin to take responsibility to orient our lives towards other people, to make disciples who make disciples. So if, if you were to think about it more and you were to process what would it take to move me from someone who is at a negative eight to a negative seven or a plus one to a plus four or a plus four to a plus eight? What would it take? What would it take for you to take the next step in following Jesus and making disciples who make disciples? Um, to close, uh, I want you to think with me just for a minute about that rich young ruler. So as far as we know, he never has another interaction with Jesus. He never uh, follows Jesus. I mean, we don't know what happens to him. But I want to assume for a moment that he follows on that same pathway that he's on. Can you imagine what this young guy would look like at age 60 or 65 or 70 when he hears and sees about what happens with this Christian movement thing, with these people who are following Jesus. And he remembers back and he says, I remember being face to face with Jesus and Jesus saying, come follow me and me saying no. And I wonder what it would have been like if he had grandkids and his kids said to, said to him, uh, or his grandkids said, Grandpa, I remember you telling story, a story about meeting Jesus. Like, how did that go down? Like, why did you tell him no? I wonder what his life looked like at the end and how he reflected back on saying no to Jesus. You are a church that makes disciples who make disciples and you're at a place in life where you literally can change the world. So my question to you today is this. What would you do if God asked you to come and follow me all the way? Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for the scriptures that we have and how they teach us so much about you and, and who you are and what you're about. God, I, I thank you that Jesus makes so clear to us what it is that we are supposed to do, that we're supposed to follow him, that we're supposed to follow you, that we're supposed to make disciples who make disciples. Father, this morning as we think about disciple making and we realize that we have this really rich heritage, this super strong legacy, and we realize that we have models of people who've gone before us. Father, help us to get to a place where we're not playing the game of Wesley and we're not playing the game of the rich young ruler where even though we know what to do and we hear what to do, that we say no to you. Father, instead... Let us be a people who lead with yes, who repeat yes, and whatever it is that you ask us to do, whether it's staying in the place that we are to serve the universities that we're around, or it means going to a new place to help start a new church in a new location to reach a new group of people. Regardless of the challenges that we may face in telling our moms that we won't come home for Christmas, God, help us to be at a place where we say yes. In Christ's name we pray.
Amen. Thank you for listening to the Resonate Church Sermon Podcast. If you are a college student in the Northwest, or if you simply want to see college students come to know Jesus, please connect with us by visiting Resonate.net.